Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Cody Davidson, filling in for Pastor Ben Blakey. It's August 8th, 2022. This past December, my wife Kate and I, along with a few of our friends, got to attend the Boise Philharmonic's performance of Handel's Messiah. The classic oratorio, which is a large-scale musical composition on a sacred subject for solo voices, chorus, and orchestra. Handel composed the Messiah with lyrics taken directly from the King James Version of the Bible. One of its most famous portions is the Hallelujah Chorus, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. I'll spare you further evidence of my lack of singing ability. The Hallelujah Chorus comes as a crescendo and climax of praise to God, punctuating the prophecies about Christ within the oratorio. It is a stirring piece of praise to God, the full-throated worship of the Lord, the whole of the orchestra and chorus joining together in beautiful, moving harmony. It profoundly invites us to join in glorifying God. Today's readings in the Psalms share much in common with the Hallelujah Chorus. In fact, this set of five psalms each begins and ends with the Hebrew phrase, Hallelujah, which is translated, Praise the Lord. In the compilation and organization of the psalms, we come here at the end of the book of the psalms to one final crescendo, the pinnacle of praise to God. These psalms are, in fact, referred to as the final halal, the final praise to the Lord. Psalm 148 is an invitation to the entirety of creation to worship the Lord. It begins with a call to the heavens and all of its angels and hosts. Even the sun, moon, and stars are called to worship the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. As we look out at the beautiful night sky, as we experience the wonders of another Idaho sunrise or sunset, Let us remember that the wonder and majesty of these things reflects the wonder and majesty of the one who created them and sustains them, the one who upholds them by the word of his power. Psalm 148 then moves to the earth, to the flora, fauna, features, phenomena, and finally the people of it. Each and every one of them is called to worship God. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Let us join with creation, the very same creation that is groaning, waiting for the full revelation of the sons of God. Let us join with it in praising God, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Psalms 149 and 150 further call us to join in that praise of God by creation, to join with songs of praise. Psalm 150 even includes a call to praise him with loud clashing cymbals. The loud percussion section is encouraged, is even called for to praise and glorify God here in this psalm. There you go, drummers. Psalm 150 verse 2 reminds us that we are to praise God for both his mighty deeds, to praise God for what he has done, is doing, and will do. Our justification in Christ our present process of sanctification by the Holy Spirit, and our eventual glorification with Christ for all eternity, these ought to cause us to praise God each and every day. But not only do we praise God for his mighty deeds, we are also called to praise him according to his excellent greatness. God's character in and of itself is worthy to be praised. 
As we contemplate the creation that declares his majesty, let us praise him for his majesty. As we remember Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, let us praise him for his mercy and his grace. As we confess our sins to him, let us praise him for his patience towards us. Let us also, as we look at the creation, praise him for his omnipotence and his omniscience, his eternal nature, his sovereignty. Let us praise the Lord of all for his goodness, for his excellence, and also for his many mighty deeds. Psalm 149 also calls us to praise God for something we don't always immediately think of. In verse 6, we have this transition from filling our hands with lyre and tambourines and our voices with high praise to the Lord to holding two-edged swords in our hands and watching the Lord mete out his justice. Verses 7 through 9 depict God's judgment going forth, the judgment that is written, the judgment that is decreed and is sure to come. God's justice, this psalm reminds us, is honor for all of his godly ones because his judgments are pure, perfect, holy. It will be to his glory and to the honor of his people. Another aspect of what is praiseworthy about God and his character is his justice, his perfect and holy and righteous judgment and justice. Psalm 149 invites us to praise him for it. Let us do so. Psalm 146 is an individual's praise of the Lord and his position as the sovereign shepherd. We see in verse 6 that God is creator of all. In verse 10, that he will reign forever. He is sovereign over all things. But he is also the tender shepherd who keeps faith forever, who feeds the hungry, who sets free the prisoners, who heals the blind, who lifts up those who are bowed down by heavy burdens, who loves the righteous, watches over the sojourners, widows, and orphans. God is both the sovereign Lord over all things, but he is also our tender shepherd. Given this, it is important, essential even, that we trust in him and in him alone. That trusting in men, in princes even, is foolish. Psalm 146 reminds us that there is no salvation in them, and when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Are we trusting in God, who is eternal, who will reign forever and ever? Or are we trusting in men who will reign for a time, who will rule for a time, and then will perish? and will go into the earth from whence they came, and their plans their plans will go away with them. We must trust in the Lord, and we can and should because he has tender care for the suffering, for the downtrodden, for the humble and the obedient. And we can trust that the just judge of the universe will judge the wicked, that he will bring the way of the wicked to ruin. Let us not look to princes to execute this judgment, but let us look to the Lord. The Lord will execute judgment, vengeance, punishment, and he will do so perfectly and righteously in his holiness, in his perfection. Let us trust him to do what we are not qualified to do. And let us cling to him at all times, especially in the trials. 
Paul, as we turn to our New Testament reading today, reminds us of this same theme, trusting in the Lord in our trials. Paul writes here in the introduction to his second letter to the Corinthians of the affliction he suffered in Asia. This affliction may be related to the events surrounding the silversmith's riot in Ephesus in Acts 19, 23 through Acts 20, verse 1, with violent persecution possibly breaking out as a result. This is the story of the silversmiths whose primary trade was in statuettes of Artemis and had led to a riot in the middle of the city because these men had feared that the gospel and those following Christ would destroy their industry in making these idols. It's entirely possible that, after the riot that we have recorded in Acts, they led violent persecution against the believers in Ephesus. But whatever the suffering he faced, Paul despaired even of his life. He felt that God had decreed that this, this was the end. Paul faced this end with confidence in God. Confidence that transcended the fear even of death. Paul's hope was in the God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the God who raises the dead. And yet, Paul lived and continued his ministry, as evidenced by this letter that he wrote thereafter. One of his takeaways from the affliction was that it was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul's hope in facing what seemed to be death was in God. Even if Paul's breath were to depart from him, the plans he sought to accomplish would not fail, for they were not his own plans. It was God's purpose and mission that Paul was pursuing. And not only did God deliver Paul in this instance, he will do so. Our hope, alongside Paul as our brother in Christ, is not in this life. Remember, Paul had just written about this in his previous letter to the Corinthians. See verse 15, 19 and surrounding in 1 Corinthians. The Paul would one day die as a martyr, yet he is still delivered and saved by God. Paul reminds the Thessalonians that the dead in Christ will rise first. And as he's going to write later in this letter, 2 Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If we'd face trials that seem insurmountable to us, let us remember that we serve the God who can raise the dead and that, should the worst in this life come, will only serve to shorten our journey and hasten us home. And as we suffer, let us turn to the God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Especially when we suffer, suffer because of Christ, when we are sharing in Christ's sufferings abundantly, so through Christ we will share abundantly in comfort too. God is our comforter. Let us turn to him. Whatever we are in, in the midst of whatever is going on, we can trust in him. My prayer is that if you are in great suffering, if you are in a difficult trial or hardship in this moment, you will turn to God and find him to be the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And for all of us in suffering or not, while we still draw breath, each of us who draws breath as we draw each and every breath, let us praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He shall reign forever and ever. Praise the Lord. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. Pastor Ben Blakey will be back on August 22nd. 
For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.